in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 24 through 26 today. We're, we're moving actually quite fast, aren't we? I should slow this down. It's only been 18 sermons so far. But we're in verse 24 today through 26. Now, actually, as I start to read, I'm going to read in the middle of verse 24, okay? Because you're going to see a phrase like, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. I'm going to start with this. But God has so composed the body, given more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I'd like to especially focus on that first phrase that I read, verse 24. So God, God has so composed the body. That just fascinated me this week. And uh, I'm eager to share the things that uh, I was able to study. Let's thank the Lord first. Heavenly Father. Many times we will pray before a meal, we'll pray before a trip, we come to you at the beginning of a day, and even now we come to you before we even spend our few moments in your word, and yet we know this is your word, you have given it to us, and it's a very special treasure to us, and we are privileged to be able to have it in our hand right now. And to be able to read it and understand the words, that's a blessing too. But even to understand it as it was meant to be understood, as the Holy Spirit teaches us, that is a blessing as well. And then to add to that, you also give us the ability to do what you call us to do, to to live in light of truth, to apply it, and to be people who have been influenced by your word and living it out in the day and age when it so desperately needs to be lived out. Help us now, because this is a very important time in our, our worship service to sit at your feet and listen to your word. Help us to understand it best and do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are studying what's called the efficient functioning of the church. And so far we have had taken a quick view of the church itself, the body of Christ, made up all believers in Jesus Christ, whether they be in one part of this country or another part or another country at that. Whether they have been living at this planet at this time or back in Acts chapter 2 back around 33 A.D., or in the 1500s during the Reformation period, or the 1800s during the missionary movements, or here in the 21st century as well. It's a big church, folks. It's fascinating to look at it that way. And yet, a local church body is somewhat of a fragment of that whole. It's a good picture of the whole. It has all the ingredients that make up a church because a church is made up of believers. And that's what we have here. Believers in Christ. Believers who've been immersed into the body of Christ. Believers who are members as individuals in the body of Christ. These believers are gifted 
and equipped and empowered and matured and made operable within the body to encourage all the members together to grow up to be like Jesus, our head. Does that sum up pretty much what we've done for 17 weeks? That's what we've been looking at. In reality, folks, I say a statement here, and it might sound pretty strong at first. There is no other organism on earth that is so profoundly constructed and so profoundly operational. You may say, but there's a lot of profound things on this planet. Yes. You can look at God's creation and see the wonders of a flower. I've enjoyed the roses blooming, and and it's been a good year for roses to bloom. But they're also now faded. We could enjoy the beetle or whatever bug if you don't step on it first. You could examine the wonders of the solar system, as big as it is, or an atom, as little as that is. You could find that we have a wonderfully creative God, a very detail-oriented God, uh, a God of order, a God of precision. Scripture says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And we study such things and we see, as Romans would tell us, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature, and, and it puts us at awe. Yet all of those things that I've just mentioned here are created for the moment, if you will. The flower fades. The beetle doesn't live long, especially in some people's home. The moon and the sun will someday cease to be. But the mystery of the church, the church that exists now is a living organism by the power of Christ. And it is one that will live on throughout all of the ages and ages and ages to come, through all eternity. It is so designed that way. And so it's much bigger, much bigger. Some spider just landed on my Bible. And I'm saying, what do I do with you now? Hmm? Get off of there. Go. There he goes. Nope. He's there. Somebody wants it. He's just a... Uh, okay. Go away. He had to tell me something. When I was a child, it was not uncommon that we played games with the neighborhood kids and we were outside all the time. And my mom would yell out the door and say, it's time to get ready to go to church. Well, my neighborhood kids didn't go to church. And we were the oddballs. And it was Monday, Sunday mornings, it was Sunday afternoons, it seemed, it was Sunday evenings, we went out Wednesdays, we even went out on Saturdays to clean the church. And it was like, we were always there, and we got teased for it all the time by the neighborhood kids. Why do you go to church all the time? And all these kind of things. You know, I wasn't too impressed with the word church growing up. But the more I study scripture, and the more I see how God has designed such a thing, and see it from his view, the more I am in awe of what he has done. The study of the church is fascinating. I consider it nothing less than a masterpiece. When you stop and see what God has done. And all we're trying to do in this chapter is to understand how it works. (laughs) Just how does it work? It's amazing to look at it, but what, what does it look like when it's at its best efficiency, when it's operating like God designed it to operate? And we're all in our place just like we need to be. 
I don't believe God just wants the church to live. I think He wants it to thrive. I think He wants it to thrive. He did not create it just because, so it could be some, just something along the way. Pam and I bought a, uh, uh, some fruit trees and such for our land that we're setting up, and we bought some, a blackberry bush. This little blackberry bush, cute as can be, sat on the front porch waiting for us to get it into the ground. And, well, the wind has been rough on it, and the sun sometimes is rough on it. And, and those little leaves started to curl up and become kind of crispy. And I said, oh, well, we got to do something about this. And so we took it in the house, and I put it in the bathroom, right there on the counter, right next to the sink. And, and I got to see that every morning, go in and talk to it. I thought that helped. Uh, but uh, that little blackberry bush... Um, started putting on new leaves. It started to look a little more and more perky. It finally got into the ground the other day, and I think it's going to do just fine. We didn't just want that plant to live. We want that plant to thrive. We like blackberry pie, blackberry cobbler, and all the other good things that come from that. God created the church to mature, to bear fruit, right? He designed it so it thrives, so it grows. And in 1 Corinthians 12, we're studying the things, not only that make it thrive, make it best and efficient and it accomplishes what it's designed to do, but we also have seen in this chapter the things that stunts the growth, the things that hamper its ability to thrive, the things that might be called disease in plants or in humans, is certainly capable in the church body as well. And so when it all comes down to understanding what he has done, what we have learned so far is simply that we are all members of this one body in Christ. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a member of one body. There are not many bodies. There's one. Just one. And we are all individual members of it as well. We are not independent members. We're individual members. Each of us uniquely designed. Each of us gifted differently. Each of us used differently in ministry. Each of us bringing about the effects that God does through us. Different effects. It's an amazing thing to see how it works this way. But God has all this combined so that each one of us could build up each other until we all resemble Christ. Amazing. Just an amazing picture. And we get into this view of, of 1 Corinthians 12, and we see the, that uh, some things get in the way of this wonderful maturity that we ought to have. And the way we look at each other. The moment pride, which is the last two topics I've dealt with in sermons, and they haven't been very fun. They haven't been very fun. But once pride enters the scene, the detriments begin. It happens every time, I guarantee it. The efficiency meter starts to drop. The strife and the contest begin to take center stage. The maturity diminishes. The divisions grow Hearts become very self-conscious and, and they work towards self-preservation. It's interesting how that happens too. Cooperation turns to competition and the prospects of good 
coming from that is very bleach. Just as an experiment for you, try this. Well, maybe not. Just think of it. All right? Take a bucket. Go out into the yard, dump a couple of heaps of dirt into the bucket. A chunk or two of rusty metal, if you've got any laying around. Maybe you've got some rotting bread. Throw it in there, too. A cup of old motor oil. That would help. A dash of arsenic. If you got that on hand. Stir them together and try to produce something good. You know it's not going to work. That's the picture I, I see sometimes when I think of what pride can do to a church. It puts all the bad ingredients in and still we stand up and say, Lord, bless your church, bless your church. And we've stirred in all kinds of things that are detrimental to it. That's the danger of what we've been looking at here. And Paul had to deal with that with the Corinthians, didn't he? That was their number one issue. There was a pride we looked at, just for a quick summary, the pride of devaluing. There's that spider again. Okay, I'm not going to squish you. That's a brand new Bible. I'm not going to mess with that. Uh, There's a pride of devaluing yourself. In other words, I'm not needed. I'm not wanted. I'm not special. I, I really don't look like everybody else. I don't act like everybody else. I'm not like everybody else, so I don't belong. There's that attitude that some people say that I'm just, I, I'm just not what I wish I could be in the church. And in a sense, you're saying that God made a mistake in making you who you are. God had made a mistake in putting you where you belong. And your opinion is greater than his. What other word but pride fits that? There's a pride of, uh, of devaluing oneself. And that really does hurt the efficiency of the church's functions. And on the other hand, there is a prize, pride of self-enlargement. I don't need you. <laughs> I, I, I can do it all myself. I'm important all alone. I'm superior. Nobody really says that, do they? I'm superior and everyone else is inferior. And that goes so well in a group, doesn't it? You know that's detrimental to the functioning of a church body. We've seen these things today. So I want to bring you back to our focus here in verse number 24 that I believe is so significant to our understanding of the whole thing. God has so composed the body. And let's focus on this for a few minutes because it's such a a fascinating, fascinating phrase. Um, We have to get a good view of this by looking just a bit into its context if you will, uh, the, the sentence structure. This sentence begins in verse 22. Right? In, in the Greek text, we have one sentence from verse 22 to 25. And so you know he's got it linked to the thoughts. Let's start in verse 22. On the contrary, he says, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. See that word weaker there? We have weaker members? What's that? Weaker members. Well, you dig up the word in the Greek and it means they have no strength. None. No bodily vigor is the word that comes out of my uh, translation here. King James, you have it, it's called feeble. They're feeble. No spiritual power, no spiritual knowledge. 
You say, wow. Okay, what's that? Well, it says right here in verse 22, the members of the body which seem, you see that word seem? That's our opinion. That's our thinking. We think that these people are, are they're so weak. They're so little. They're so, they're, they're unimportant, aren't they? They don't bring anything to the table. They don't seem to contribute to knowledge. They don't seem to contribute in power to assist us. They just look limp. And they look lifeless. You have garden plants like that right now? They just look absolutely puny. Here they are. What did God say about them? The members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary? Ooh, okay. Let's hold that thought. Verse 23. This one's different. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable... Oh, wait. What's that? No value. No esteem. They're not noble. Nobody seems to think that uh, we should boast because they're on our team. They're not popular. They're not sought after. In a world of fine china and crystal stemware, they are styrofoam. And you say, well, why are they here? They're less honorable. Don't we want the superstars up front? Don't we want the, the whole church to look like, you know, the top-ranked people? The most gifted people? The most popular people? We want, we want all those. Advertising goes after that too, don't they? Well, these, we bestow much abundant honor. How about the next group in verse 23? The less presentable members. Presentable. This was really fun. I, I pulled up this word and I laughed. They can't keep their shape. That's what it said. They can't keep their shape. What is that? They're not attractive. They're uncomely, your King James Version might read. Basically, they have no ability to hold. That's the words. No ability to hold. They've been stretched out. They're not orderly. They're not neat. They're not tidy. They're not useful in that way. They're not visually attractive. They're not desirable. Oh, you can go and clean them up a little, but they're like pig pen. You know what his problem was? He was a dirt magnet. The minute you cleaned him up, it's like the dirt just went vroom, and there he was again, just as he was before. I like those little Charlie Brown cartoons. They're not presentable. They're not presentable. But what does it say in the verse? What does it say? They become more presentable. Verse 24. Let's add another group while we're at it. Whereas are more presentable, that's the opposite, by the way, of the last guy. These are the ones that are decorous. I like that word. They're beautiful. They hold the good shape, right? These members, they have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. Lacked. 
That's the next one. They're inferior. They fall short. They're deficient. The words are destitute or even worse than that. I don't know what that would look like. Are you ready for this? Brace yourself. It's kind of cool. God has so intentionally designed the body that he purposely wove in the puny, the less esteemed, the parts that cannot hold their shape and worse than destitute members. God put them in there on purpose. Does that stun you a little bit? God did that on purpose. He has so composed the body. In his wisdom, he said, I'm going to put that puny part in the body. It will be so weak that it will look like it's dead and needs to be buried in a backyard. It will appear to be without any power at all. It will have no knowledge that anybody can measure. I will put it in there. I'm going to put that in the body so that the body comes to realize that power and knowledge are from me. And the rest of the body cannot function without this puny part. But in the end, that puny part will do its job to help the whole body look like Jesus. And in his wisdom, God said, I'm going to put that insignificant, less honorable part in the body. It will be so bland, it will look like it's disposable, like a paper plate. It won't even be set out to an important guest to enjoy. I will put it in there anyway, so that the body will come to realize the value and usefulness are from me. And the rest of the body cannot function without this insignificant part. But in the end, this insignificant part will do its job to help the whole body to be like Jesus. And in his wisdom, God said, I'm going to put that unattractive part in the body. It will be so out of proportion. It will look so misshaped and untidy. They will want to sweep it under the rug or heave it out the window. But I'm going to put it in there. I'm going to put it in there so that the body comes to realize that function is not the same as beauty. Unsightly parts are from me. And the rest of the body cannot function without this shapeless part. But in the end, this unattractive part would do its job to help the whole body look like Jesus. And in his wisdom, he says, I'm going to put that inferior part in the body. It will be so deficient, everything in comparison will look better. It will appear to be wanting in every aspect. It will have a grade point average around a D-. minus. But I'm going to put it in there. I'm going to put it in there till the body comes to realize that accomplishments are from me. And the rest of the body cannot function without this deficient part. But in the end, this destitute part will find its job to help the whole body look like Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, just back up for a minute. This is a beautiful passage, verse 26, all the way through verse 31. These are wonderful words. Matter of fact, just the first time the Corinthians hear that heard this, they probably were in shock. It was contrary to everything they thought. 
Consider your calling, verse 26 says. Paul says to the Corinthians, Consider your calling, brethren. There are not many wise according to the flesh. He's looking out among them. (laughs) There's not many mighty. There's not many noble. That's okay. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame that which is strong. And God has chosen the base things of this world. And the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he might nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing You are in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad he did it? Who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Far too often we consider these puny, insignificant, unsightly parts as not necessary. And we move them into that branch and we say, you know, well, if we just take them out back and fix them up a little bit, maybe they'll be a little more presentable, they'll be a little more useful. We, we gotta, and there is something to that fact that we're here to help each other and edify each other and tells each other to mature. I get it. But remember this, God has so composed the body. He's adjusted it his way. He has mingled the parts his way. He has harmonized the body. He has delicately proportioned the parts that each part is dependent on each other. Even if that other part is unsightly. Or any of these other words we had, a puny or insignificant in one way or another, they're all necessary in the way God, God composed the body. If I mention the name George Frederick Handel to you, what's your first thought? Messiah. That's quick and easy. Composed in 1741. Long time ago. If it's sung by a group like a tabernacle choir, it takes over three hours to perform. That's a long one. Fifty-three separate movements within it, or songs if you want to call them that. Fifty-three separate ones. On paper, it comes out to about 304 pages long. That's quite a cantata. We haven't tried that yet, have we? Not yet. It has three scenes to it. I don't know if you know the details of this. This is an incredible thing to to look through. Part one is the prophecy and realization of God's plan to redeem mankind by the coming of the Messiah. What a title for a a bunch of songs. And he works through, really, it's almost like the whole book of Isaiah, really, as you're going through this. He talks about Isaiah's prophecy of salvation. He talks about the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. And... uh, the prophecy of the virgin birth, the appearance of the angels to the shepherds, and Christ's redemptive miracles on earth. Then it moves to part two. And part two starts with the accomplishments of redemption by the sacrifice of Christ. 
mankind's rejection of God's offer and mankind's utter defeat by trying to oppose the power of the Almighty. And you've got the sacrifice of Christ, the scourging, the agony of the cross, his death, his passage through hell and resurrection, his ascension. God just closes his identity in heaven. The gift of, of tongues that follow the beginning of evangelism, the world and its rulers reject the gospel. God triumphs in that. When you get to God's triumph in that, it breaks out into a song you all know. It's called the Hallelujah Chorus. It's right there at the end of part two, and there's still a part three to follow. Really, once you hear the hallelujah chorus, you say, that's it, that's done. What's better to do from that? I mean, that's the end of it. I have a dear friend who says when he has his funeral, he wants us sung at his funeral. And we always joked and said, no doubt he's going to sit up and sing with us, because he just loves the hallelujah chorus. But uh, part three, the hymn of, trans- of thanksgiving for the final overthrow of death and the promise of bodily resurrection and the day of judgment and the resurrection and the victory of death of his sin, uh, victory of over death and sin and then the glorification of the Messiah. It's a powerful thing. But I go back to Movement 44 for a minute, which is what we call the Hallelujah Chorus. It only takes you three hours and 45, or three minutes and 45 seconds to sing. Not very long. It's composed in the D major scale. For some of you, that's significant. You used to automatically think two sharps. Uh, there's two sharps in that one. Uh, you got an F sharp and you have a C sharp. Now, I want you to suppose something, because this all is coming around to what I'm talking about. Suppose that you were a B flat in a D major world. That's not there unless it's an accident. We call them accidentals. They have to put that note in there once in a while. But that's not designed to be part of that D major uh, uh, key. Say that your job was that of a B flat. That's all you did. God made you to be a B flat. That's all your job was. And you picked up the book in the choir to sing the Hallelujah Chorus. And on page one, you stood there with your mouth shut. On page two, nope, no parts. No parts for you, you're a B flat. Page three, no parts. Page four, no parts. Five, six, seven, eight, eight pages go by. They're singing their hearts out. You know, King of Kings and Lord of Lords and all that stuff. And you're still sitting there. You haven't said one word. Because you're a B-flat. And finally, you know that place where the sopranos are hitting the highest notes and you think all the windows are going to break and all that stuff? They're going, wee, way up there. King of kings and lord of lords. And you turn to page nine and guess what? A B-flat. And you say, four. <laughs> there it is. That's a bass part. You get a word four. That's part of the four. And then the altos join in. And the altos say, wait, we've got two B-flats. And both of them say, er. <laughs> Twice. Ev, er. That's your part. Er. That's all you get. And then the basses come back with one more time and they go, how? <laughs> and the B-flats disappear for the rest of the song. So you've got a four, two ers, and a how. 
And it goes on for three more pages while you stand there. And you may think your part's unimportant. You may say, well, I, it's, it's, it's so insignificant. The composer didn't think so. He put you on that page. At that time, at that moment, to say those four words, that's it. But that was necessary. But sometimes we look at it like I'm living as a B-flat in a world of F's and C-sharps, and, and I seem to be so much weaker than what they're doing. I'm less esteemed than what they're doing. I'm unattractive compared to them. I'm inferior. And so all these notes just prove it. The pages prove it, that I'm insignificant. So why am I even in this course? If those parts were missing, somebody would notice it when they got to that. Years ago, I was in a, working in one of the struggling churches. The Lord blessed me with that opportunity. I literally mean blessed me. He taught me a lot of things. But we had a problem in our church that was undefiable. I, I mean, we didn't know what it was. We couldn't figure out what it was. And it, it just took a lot of sit down and look at it. And say, what is wrong here? There's something not right. We could see the symptoms. There was division. There was all kinds of strife, there was a lot of pride, there was conflict, there was immaturity, and it was complicated and woven together in such a way that, that it seemed like it was hard to detect what was causing all that. And one of the elders and I would meet often, I mean, we met every Saturday morning to try to talk through things and encourage one another and figure out how to meet this need. And it was interesting one day, he came in, and he says, you know what? I've got it figured out. I said, oh, that'd be great. And he says, well, I had this dream. And I said, uh, okay. I don't put a lot of emphasis on dreams. Pepperoni pizzas can influence those too. Uh, so I said, well, what, what, what did you see? And he says, well, this is what I pictured. The whole church is an orchestra. He says, and all of us are playing different instruments in this orchestra. And during one of the songs that we're all playing together, one of the players stopped. And he sat for a few minutes, and then he nudged the guy next to him, and he said, listen, something's wrong. And that guy stopped. And he listened for a few minutes. He says, yeah, there's something missing. So he nudged the guy beside him, and he said, listen, something's wrong. And all three of them sat there and listened, and they said, yeah, you're right. Something's missing here. Something's missing. And he says, you know what it is? They stopped. Does that ring any bell at all? That's the problem more times than not, is that we are the ones that have caused the conflict. The focus comes back this way. We stop and say, wait a minute, why is there something missing? Because I'm not doing my part. And it leaves a hole. What if B-flat decided I'm not singing this week when they were doing the Hallelujah Chorus? You'd have four notes missing. But there's a lot of notes. Oh, I know there is. But the composer put those in for a reason. So many times it dawns on us that what's wrong is that we're just not playing our part. 
playing our part. You know, if we focus more on what we were supposed to be doing and not on how much others are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, do you know it could change really quickly, couldn't it? Because we're all designed in this body for the purpose of building each other up using our gifts so that we all look like Jesus. And let me ask just in a personal way. You don't have to raise your hand or answer it. But who have you encouraged us last week to be more like Jesus? What have you done in ministry to encourage somebody to be more like Jesus? Imagine if all of us were busy with that all the time. What would the body look like? I'll tell you. It looked like Jesus. Many reasons why we think what we think. We think why this is and why that is. And this person seems to be out of place in the body. This person doesn't seem to belong in the body. We don't know why that weak part's here. That part's way stretched out of shape. Unpresentable. We can't have that. We've got this destitute piece over here that can't even get a good grade average. We've got the puny guy up there. He can't lift anything. Why are they here? Look again. Because, folks, that's not our department. <laughs> God has so composed the body. He's the composer. He puts the parts in, each and every one of them. He composes them to the timing and the, the extent of their ministry. He knows what needs to be hit once on a page, and He knows what needs to be repeated a thousand times. He's designed it so that some parts are louder and clearer, and some parts just kind of support it in the harmony. But God has so composed the body, and every single piece is important because the composer said so. Because the composer said so. He designed it. And folks, I'm honest. The church is a better masterpiece than the Hallelujah Chorus. This is designed by God. The church is designed by God. He's created a body that can grow together and work together and supply each and everything for each other as they're designed to do. And if you are a B-flat, be one to the glory of God and bring it here and minister to the people who need a B-flat in their life. Because that's the way God designed it. So that the body can mature. He put it in there on purpose. So the body can mature. So that we can be what Paul said in Ephesians 4. By speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, Jesus Christ. So that all the body, the whole body, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every single joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That just excites me. I read that and say, whoa, let's do it. Paul says I, in, to the Corinthians, God has so composed the body so there is no division. You saw that in verse 25. I read it to you. So there's no division in the body so that the members that have care for one another so that when one rejoices, they all rejoice. When one suffers, they all suffer. That's the way God composed it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see what God has been doing. 
But God has so composed the body. He wove it all together this way. I'm looking here at the Greek text, and I see something really cool. I, I say this every now and then, and it's not to impress you or anything like that, but it pops off the page to me. It's what we call an aorist tense. God composed the body. That means he's done. As far as the way he designed it, it's done. He is not looking for anybody else's opinions on how it can be modified. He didn't go to IBM and said, hey, you've got a great strategy here for business. Let's put it into the church and see how it works. God's not looking for people to give him constructive criticism here. He's not taking a vote. It's not a poll. He's not asking people to adjust it as it goes. You know, as we get smarter, apparently. We've got computers. That must make us smart. I don't know. But uh, we're supposed to find out how to get to Mars. Plant people up there. I, I got a spider they can take. <laughs> but what is this? God composed it. Done. The blueprint's been written. The body's been built. That's God's plan. Done. We can't sit here on a Sunday morning and redesign that and say, boy, is he going to bless this? Because he won't. Composed. Done. It's aorist tense. I look at it and I say, okay. It's been this way for 2,000 years. What other things on this planet has been operating quite like that, that people have designed that they say, hey, this is pretty good? Windows? Has it been the same for all these years? Are you scared of the next one? Everyone is. What are they going to do to our windows on the, on the, the computer system? What are they going to do with this? What are they going to do with that? Everybody's altering things. Everything's altered. But the church will never be. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. God has said, I composed it. It's finished. As far as the plans, as far as all the rest, this is the way it's always going to be. So if we're fighting against him, if we're fighting against his plan, if we're fighting against the fact that he chose the weak, he chose the puny, he chose the misproportioned, he chose the ignorant, he chose the powerless, he chose the destitute, he chose those that most people say, I don't want them on my team. He chose them and put them in the body. Shouldn't we stop and say, wow, what a great God we have. That he can compose all those parts in there and make it a beautiful thing. Let's rejoice in what God has done. And let's have a viewpoint that is from him as to this is the way he made it. And he made it a masterpiece. That's what I liked about those words. When I saw that God has so composed, I said, oh boy, is that a great word. That's a great word. Help us to understand this, Lord. So often when we're studying your word, we see these things, and some things are very convicting. Some things come right back to our heart and tell us, hey, you're not doing that right. Lord, we want the body to reflect Jesus Christ. We want all the parts, all the parts, to be active within the body for the benefit of building up this body to the glory of Christ. Sometimes in our own, maybe it's our pride or maybe it's our, uh, the way we've been engineered to think in, in a world like ours. We're always looking for the superstars. We're always looking for the upfront people. We're always looking for the people who could carry the heaviest load or the person who could think the deepest or 
or sometimes we're after the most attractive to be the, the advertisement for our church. But Lord, the way you design the body is that every part is important. Every part is important. And I pray that you help us to see the value of the weak, the value of the, of the misproportioned, the value of those who don't seem to know as much or carry as much or those who are wanting in every single department. Lord, help us to see the value of each, every person in the body of Christ and see the value of what that does when we grow to be like you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our midst. May our hearts remain soft, easily moved and shaped by your hand so that we see and we know and we follow through and do what you've called us to do as a body in Christ. Thank you for helping us with this, we pray. Give us uh, grace to see it through. In Jesus' name, amen.